Blake Cohn from National Network of Schools of Partnership. Welcome to this episode of Podcasts on Partnerships. Today we are joined by Rachel Klein of Riverdale Country School. We are going to hear about their diverse service learning and engagement opportunities, their take on service hours, and a quest to recognize students who excel in this work. As always, we encourage you to sit back and relax and share the inspiration and education around the value of partnership in our schools. Thank you for listening. So I'm here today with Rachel Klein. She is from Riverdale um, Country School, um, and she's the Director of Service Learning there. She's been there for eight years, and that includes coordinating partnerships with local, national, and global um, organizations and community organizations, nonprofits. I will stop talking and let her um, tell us a little bit more about um, what she does. Thank you, Rachel, for being here. Thank you, Blake, for having me. I feel honored to be part of these podcasts, so this is exciting. Um, I started at Riverdale, this is my eighth year, um, and in this role, I think my seventh year, so sixth or seventh year. So, um, you know, I think that um, when, you know, when most people ask, you know, what do you do, uh, especially friends who don't work in schools or who, you know, aren't so up to date with, you know, current trends, um, you know, and I, and I explained my title as director of service learning, oftentimes the next question I get asked is, uh, well, what is service learning? And, um, you know, the way that I sort of try to explain it to people um, is, you know, sort of the, I ask them, like, do you remember the sort of the old model of community service where, um, you know, you maybe do like a one day, you know, event or volunteer once at a soup kitchen, um, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that from, from growing up. Um, I said, well, we've taken this, you know, the concept a step further, and we've tried to actively make curricular ties wherever possible, um, you know, to really integrate it into the culture of the school. Um, and so that, you know, service becomes part of the Riverdale experience um, from K all the way up through, through 12th grade. So we have service learning um, you know, starting as young as, um, you know, in kindergarten, really. We have service learning clubs in um, starting in second, third, fourth grade. Um, and then we weave it throughout, you know, the uh, Riverdale students experience all the way um, through middle school, different ways that kids get involved um, through their home base program um, as a grade, um, and then individual service projects that we help support. And then in upper school as well, um, you know, we have students involved in all sorts of different forms of service here at Riverdale. So we try to make the, those one-off experiences um, deeper, more meaningful, more sustainable um, throughout, you know, and weave them throughout the whole Riverdale experience so that students really graduate with a passion for connecting with their community wherever that community may be. So if they go off to college in Philadelphia or in New Orleans or Atlanta, they have um, this background in service and this, hopefully, this motivation that sticks with them to reach out and connect with the local communities that they then step into themselves. So when I arrived at Riverdale, the program looked very different. It, it actually was that old community service model. And the woman who was in my role previously, um, you know, she was sort of um, running around um, trying students hours uh, there was at that point an hourly requirement to graduate um, so she was sort of um, you know keeping track of what students were doing how many hours they were spending at which organization 
um, you know, uh, filling out timesheets, signing off. And, um, you know, not only did this sound exhausting to me, but <laughs> it also didn't seem to mesh really with Riverdale's mission. Um, and, you know, their mission, the current mission, um, part of which is changing the world for the good. And, you know, we spoke with our head of school, Dominic Randolph, and um, he was super supportive of us making that shift from community service over to service learning, removing the hourly requirement, and instead, um, you know, replacing that requirement with an expectation that every Riverdale student will engage in some form of meaningful service work throughout their time at Riverdale. So, you know, this service experience will look very different for every student. The bars that make sense, you know, and will kind of coincide with one of their personal passions as best as we can. So tell me, um, how do you coordinate K through 12 in this program so that they're prepared for that sort of freedom of exploration as they get older? Right. So we do, you know, sort of exactly as you would think. We kind of stagger it at the different levels. So it's more structured in the lower grades um, and sort of more simplistic. So the service learning club at the lower schools and after school um, optional program for students who I think they stay Monday or Wednesday afternoons and they do, you know, small service projects um, with longstanding partners of ours, whether it's the Hebrew home for the age nearby, um, painting flower pots and then going to deliver them um, and, you know, uh, conversing with, uh, with folks there, which is really fun. Um, and um, once they get to fifth grade, which is the, you know, sort of the leaders of the lower school, um, instead of having um, like a middle, uh, lower school student council and president and all that, a few years ago, actually my first year here, they did away with that student council and instead they replaced it with um, long-standing tradition at Riverdale, which is called the philanthropic Roundtable, which um, became in a way like sort of the leadership opportunity in the lower school. So leadership now centers around service, which is really cool. Great. Yeah. Um, and it gives kids um, ownership over, um, you know, they basically break, if you're part of the philanthropic roundtable at the, at our fifth grade, um, you break up into issue areas. So there might be an issue area on the environment, one on, um, you know, uh, education, one on um, healthcare, one on animals, and then they research on their own. They come together to research within those small groups, um, the different uh, or local organizations, and we push them to, you know, to really focus on the local here right. in the Bronx. And um, they research, they do everything from learning how to, you know, search through a website. Um, they, they try to figure out how, how much of every dollar actually goes towards, um, you know, the cause that that, that organization is supporting. Um, they do some, we do some role playing and then they actually do some cold, cold calling those organizations to, to talk to people there and connect with them. They practice writing emails to them and then, you know, eventually fall on one or two that they decide um, to focus on for the year. And they'll bring them in as speakers. And at the end of the year, you know, and they, they involve the whole lower school in the process by doing a big, what they call um, change for change, which is, you know, for everyone throughout the year to bring in their loose change. And um, at the end of the year, they've raised, you know, a certain amount and that gets divvied up to the, into the different group issue areas. And then they invite the community partner that they've researched to come and accept a check on behalf of Riverdale Country School at a big lower school assembly. And um, 
you know, so not so you know the, the whole lower school who's now contributed all year long has you know is is involved with you know sort of like who gets that money and they learn a little bit about the organization. The speaker may you know talk a little bit about what they do and why it's important and how grateful they are for our support. So that's what it looks like at the lower school. The middle school level, um, they get a little bit more independence. Um, they get to choose their service project that they do, um, you know, throughout the year. So, you know, um, some may be um, long-standing traditions they have with their families. For example, they may, you know, deliver meals with city meals on wheels um, with their families on Sundays. They might um, participate in the AIDS walk, for example, in May in Central Park. Um, you know, it, every student, it looks a little bit different. Right. Um, some take advantage of the opportunities that we offer through Riverdale. So we have plenty of service opportunities throughout the year uh, that, we, that we offer um, with a lot of our community partners. So every Wednesday, for example, we have a program called POTS, which that stands for Part of the Solution, a nonprofit in the Bronx, um, uh, who is basically a one-stop shop for um, for anyone in the Fordham section of the Bronx to come in, get a hot meal. You know, it started off as just a, a um, soup kitchen, but has since expanded um, to include everything from um, healthcare access, um, oral care. They do, um, you know, uh, coaching for jobs to re-enter the workforce, um, all sorts of stuff. So the, the program that we're involved with at POTS is called Family Club. And that runs every Wednesday. So we bring different groups of middle school kids every Wednesday afternoon to POTS and they partner up one-on-one -on -one and do some after school, you know, homework help, tutoring with, with those kids. So that would count towards the kid, you know, towards a middle school student's individual service. But they also engage in service with their, with their home base group, which is a group of middle school students, anywhere from like 14 or 15 up to about 18 students with, um, with one home base teacher. Sort of the idea of, an, you know, a, homeroom and advisor, exactly. Um, and the way that those run, um, generally speaking, you know, the, the uh, home base group will come together to think about and brainstorm some ideas. We have some guidelines for what those projects might look like and what's worked in the past. Um, and uh, we, I work with and we work with in service learning those uh, home, home base teachers um, really closely to help them, you know, help guide them and give them some resources um, as they figure out what their, what their project's going to be. Getting off campus, um, for, the, uh, for the home base groups, getting off campus together as a group, you know, they see each other day in and day out in school, but to get off campus and to do something hands-on outside of school is a lot of fun and they find it really rewarding. We provide them with some resources both, you know, pre-trip and then some reflection post-trip so they can really get the most out of that experience. And we've had some groups that do way more than one a year, you know, so um, they get really involved and invested in that. Um, and the more, and again, the more ownership and leadership they, they have and they, they take on, um, the better, because then they're, they're that much more invested. So uh, how much um, professional development do you provide your, those home-based home teachers prior, or do you do it as a group or do you do it individually or how do you help them? So we, I, I will uh, attend their home-based meetings. They meet about every other week. Um, and so we'll give, you know, give them some, um, some guidance and some, some background. We'll also share with them home-based group. Uh, teachers usually have um, you know, access to a whole folder of documents and activities that they do on a weekly basis with their groups. And so 
we'll throw in some service learning relate service related activities in there. Um, you know, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with the starfish stories. Um, that's like, you know, I can send it to you, but it's a, you know, uh, and if you work in the field of service, um, um, I feel like, you know, I even read, I read the first version of this one when I was in high school myself. Um, but essentially, you know, um, it's, it's a story about um, a man on the beach um, who some, someone's walking along and they see a man on the beach and he's bending down and um, over and over again and throwing something back into the ocean. And the person asks the man, you know, what are you, you know, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm saving all the starfish. You know, I'm throwing each starfish that's, you know, sort of come up on, on the sand back into the ocean. Um, and, you know, so that, that's sort of like the old version of community service, you know, like doing your part to help, right? And then there's a flip to that story. There has been like a more recent update to that where, um, you know, you really question, like, is that community service? Is that person really making, you know, because like to every starfish, the man says, it makes a difference. Like to that one that I just threw, it made a difference, right? And yes, that's all nice and good, but then there's a flip to that, which is like, is that really helping, right? So are the starfish there for a reason? Like, is there some predator in the ocean that, right. you know, um, and that's why they're up on the beach? Or, you know, could that, per could that man, you know, yes, he's walking along a long stretch of the beach and he just, just by himself, he's throwing the starfish back. But what if he got the whole neighborhood behind him? What if he got, you know, hundreds or thousands of people to help him, you know, could he make an even bigger dent? Yes, of course. So there's, you know, so we have conversations with students about, you know, using stories and articles like, you know, um, sometimes TED Talks um, about service, all service related to think about the context of, you know, what you're doing before you go ahead and do it. So we try to prepare them in that way. And then when they get to the upper school, um, you know, we, because we got rid of the hourly requirement, you know, there was a fear that like, okay, so before we held students accountable by keeping, you know, these hours, um, and tracking them down and making sure they did it before they graduate. Um, but, you know, the fear was, okay, so now that we got rid of the requirement, you know, so no one's going to do any, so, you know, no one's going to be engaged in service, right. right? And that actually, you know, surprisingly and thankfully was not the case here. Um, I think it's, it's been such a part of our culture that, um, that students, you know, really sort of in, enjoy service and enjoy the service they do, especially as I was saying before, if it's tied to something that they're passionate about. Right. Um, so, you know, we've had students who play baseball, who've gotten involved with, um, you know, nonprofits like Harlem RBI and, you know, who are invested in, right. you know, that specific area. And so we encourage students to come, you know, make meetings with us once they get to the upper school so we can brainstorm with them, you know, what might be the best fit um, given their interests and their passion, but also realistically their availability. Right. Nice. So is it, is it, if they're playing baseball after school every day and they have practice and games, when are they free and when are they realistically able to commit to, um, you know, to working with an organization? So there's no time in their school day that um, is designated for this work, like within their schedules? Not really. And that's one of the struggles that we face that I think a lot of schools probably yeah. face. Pretty common. Um, you know, the number one, you know, sort of, a challenge or obstacle is time, right? right. So, it's the greatest resource, no yeah, doubt. Exactly. So, you know, we have to get creative. Um, we have uh, an activity club um, period that meets every other week, and, and we've got about 50 or so activity clubs, and I want to say almost half of them have some form of service 
um, right. as a part of that. So, um, so they are, um, you know, without even realizing it, talking about service and doing important service work, um, you know, within the school day in those activity clubs. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we have, you know, so many days, both on campus and off campus that we, um, that with our, you know, alongside our partners. Um, one example is Riverdale Community Action Day, which takes place every fall. It's always in the uh, Saturday in November, right before Thanksgiving. Um, and it's, uh, it was started by a group of alums who wanted the whole day to be in the vein of, um, you know, no, we invite all of our partners here, to, not all of them, but a lot of them here to our school, to our campus. And um, there's no exchange of money that day at all, um, but only an exchange of goods. So that the partners, um, you know, have designated, tell us ahead of time what it is that they are, you know, that they could use. Um, and then we go ahead and get the word out and alums and current families and students all sort of attend this day, which is a really fun filled, really feel good um, day of you sort of connecting with, um, with our different community partners. And they will bring in, you know, um, you know, canned food or um, bags of clothes for Salvation Army or, um, for example, Harlem RBI, we, uh, the, the boys that uh, were part of that held a table and they collected, um, you know, used or slightly used or new baseball equipment, um, which they then donated. So, um, so there are a lot of, you know, opportunities throughout the year for kids to, to get involved both on campus and off campus with different service opportunities. I always love hearing about um, alum programs that, you know, that bring back alums to your campus that, that sort of doubles down on the experience that they had when they were at Riverdale themselves. Exactly. Um, that's awesome. So um, was there any data taken about involvement or engagement of the kids pre with community service versus now when it's um, self-directed? Um, I don't know if there's any hard data, but um, you know, in our, in our experience, you know, I've been doing this seven, seven or so years now. Um, we have seen an explosion of student initiated service projects. Um, so, you know, I think what was happening before was kids were getting, you know, bogged down in the hours and like, you know, and the timesheets and getting their, whoever it was they're working with to sign off on it and getting the school to sign off on it. And it was more of a formality than anything. And um, I think now the kids are, uh, for the most part, and not everyone, right? It's not, not always, you know, every yeah, of course. There are some, especially with the requirement going away, that are going to, you know, sort of slip through the cracks. But, um, but by and large, we have seen, you know, just so many more student-initiated, service-oriented projects. And those are, honestly, in my experience, the ones that um, are the most successful because the students are invested. So a couple of years ago, I think about three years ago, this may be the fourth year, we began these social change grants. Um, and... Uh, again, connected to the alumni that you just spoke about, um, the alumni Riverdale class of 1959 decided to give back a chunk of money um, with the intention that, um, that students would apply for these grants um, to create positive change in the community. Um, Love it. Yeah, so we've had, and, and this, you know, maybe about, you know, we had about 10 or 15 applications the first year when students didn't really know what it was about and we tried to promote it and try to get it off the ground. And some great projects came, came from the first year, but then it almost doubled the next year um, in terms of applicants and like maybe tripled or even quadrupled last year. We had so many applicants from sixth grade all the way up through 12th grade 
about ideas that they were just super jazzed about, super excited. Um, some of the examples I can share with you are we had um, a middle school feminist club that, um, that came out of that. There was one in the upper school. So the middle school students were like, well, you know, we're feminists, you know, we're budding <laughs> feminists. Um, and they did amazing things. They, um, they did a massive tampon and pad drive and um, knowing how expensive those items can right. be for women and um, deliver them themselves to POTS, to one of the organizations we work with. Um, and, you know, they're being recognized this year for their hard work by a big organization, which is really exciting. I, I know you didn't want video, but I wish everybody could see your face about how lit up you are about these groups. You're yeah. obviously so incredibly proud of them. I am. They're, it's, it's just really exciting to see. Yeah. Uh, especially when it's not me being like, okay, guys, we're going to start a middle school feminist club. It's right. not at all that way. They applied. They had this idea. Um, they meet every week. You know, they organize everything themselves. And these are sixth grade girls, really. That's who was in that group. So pretty impressive. And we had another sixth grade group that applied and got a social change grant to start um, a program that they called Grant for a Second Chance, which um, was to kind of discuss and think about um, the, um, uh, the process through which formerly incarcerated people uh, re-enter society. Right. For sixth graders, it's yeah. like heavy topic uh, but they um, were invested and involved and led a, a group of middle school students um, you know almost every week discussing um, you know uh, affordable housing options and uh, employment opportunities for formerly incarcerated people I mean it was really exceptional um, and they which their project culminated in in the spring, we have these uh, project-based learning weeks. And so their project ended up in, you know, turning into like a three or four day intensive look at, you know, at this issue in our country. So it was, you know, pretty cool to see that take off. And then, you know, um, other examples had to do with um, social change grants about um, the environment, creating, you know, a sort of a greenhouse on our campus and, um, you know, all sorts of things, political, some political facing, some, um, you know, it was just a wide range, a wide range of student initiated projects, but that's a perfect example of these, you know, the social change grants being an opportunity for kids to really explore an area that they feel passionate about and um, that, you know, will, you know, hopefully aim to change the community for the good. So I have two questions. One is what, um, responsibility do those recipients have in reporting back to the grant donors, which would be the class of 59, which if I can do my math correctly, are like mid 70 year old alums, right? Um, do you invite them back to campus to share? How, how does that work? Because that seems to me like a development office dream come true. It is, yes. We work closely with the development office um, through the, for the social change grants. And what it looks like is in the fall, the applications come out, you know, in like a Google form and students will apply. We read through them, um, you know, a couple of us from the service learning team, but also some folks from development um, and the director of financial aid. And then um, sort of vet the projects. We invite, um, you know, uh, of those that applied, a, you know, selected few to come and present to a panel. So it sort of is, looks like a Shark Tank style panel. Um, so the kids prepare and, you know, it's very cute. They get all dressed up and um, they prepare, you know, a PowerPoint or, you know, Google slideshow and um, they come in and present in front of this panel of, you know, older alums for them um, and, um, and a mix of us. Like grandparents pretty much, right? Like right. 
exactly. And um, along with some of us, you know, some administrators at Riverdale and, um, you know, they present their project. There's a, you know, a brief Q&A, you know, about like sometimes, you know, the alums are, you know, or will ask questions about the feasibility of it. What's your timeline? You know, they have to come up with a budget, you know, so what, you know, what are you looking to um, like, you know, what kind of budget are you looking at this year in order to make this project successful? You know, what will a successful project look like in the end of the year? Um, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and then the next, you know, the next step is awarding, you know, a few students. And again, based on the number of applicants and the, the amount that each project, you know, sort of is budgeted for, um, the, the number of recipients every year will vary, but they, you know, kind of get the green light. They say, you know, go for it. Um, they have to find a faculty advisor to help support them throughout the year, which helps to hold them accountable, um, which is a great thing. And then at the end of the year, they do have to report back um, to the alums. Um, you know, they, uh, if not in per sometimes they're in person, but other times, um, if not via, you know, a Google form that they fill out and then they each write a thank you note um, to the alums to thank them for, you know, for having this opportunity to pursue a passion of theirs. And, um, it, you know, those notes end up being really sweet. Yeah, that's, it's just a win-win for everybody, really. I mean, everybody feels good. I mean, I feel good. I'm not even <laughs> part of your community. Um, so my second part of that question is, and it might be too early to tell this year, but in the past you have, do you have sort of budding, budding um, social change clubs that are growing as a result of these grants? And so now they're sort of becoming in institutionalized almost at your school? Yeah, um, so Feminist Club is one example. Um, the Grant for a Second Chance is another example that's gonna continue this year. We had um, last year, one of the recipients was a seventh grade group of students who wanted to start an affinity space for students of color in the middle school. Um, it existed down at our lower school and it exists in our upper school affinity space, but there was just a lack, you know, there was just kind of a gap, a hole. Um, and so they created it and that's going to continue on this year. It's called, they call themselves Dior, digging deep into our roots, which I loved. <laughs> um, but they had, you know, they had a great year, you know, they, they got off the ground, they had the support of a, a few faculty members, um, you know, and it, that's an important space for students of color to have you know, here on our campus, and that was, you know, previously missing. So sometimes students will, you know, sort of come up with these ideas that we aren't even aware as, you know, as adults that are missing here, but that, you know, that is proves to be a real need. Um, and again, based on the number of students that attend and the amount of excitement that they're able to generate, um, they're continuing again this year, which I think is a great, a great thing. And I love that it's middle school and upper school because yes. sometimes I, I mean, even as you're explaining that there's affinity groups in lower school and in upper school, I just feel like sometimes middle school's lost in that mix. And so to give them the opportunity to have the maturity to come up with these ideas. Um, if you've ever listened to me talk, I love middle schoolers because I yeah. do think that they have this like unbridled passion and optimism. It and, is, yeah. um, really they have the capabilities to make change, but often aren't given the leeway to do it themselves. So to empower them to be able to do it is, I, I think is fantastic. Exactly. And to empower them, not just with like the with money, with a financial backing, you know, like here's right. a budget to work with, um, you know, and um, here's how we can support you along the way. I just think it's, well, I mean, it's a pretty yeah. unique even just to think about a project from start to finish and what are your goals and what's your budget? I mean, those are, those are adult questions. Oh, yeah. you know, those aren't sixth grade questions. That's, 
that's math, that's project, you know, um, it's uh, critical thinking. It's so many, you know, it's problem solving. It's so many skills um, and it's fun, right? Because they're doing something that they're engaged with and they find um, purposeful. I, I, I love it. Okay, so I ask everybody um, if they could, if they could wish for their programs to be somewhere in five years, where, where would you be? Oh gosh, that's a hard question. Um, I think that, you know, we do a lot of great work, you know, here within Riverdale. I would love to, in five years, um, have connected with other school, you know, more so with other schools. Um, because, you know, I love hearing what other schools are doing. I love sharing what we're doing. And anytime there's, you know, potential for, for overlap um, with the work that we do, um, I think, you know, all the better, you know, I think programs will, will only be strengthened by those bonds, you know, between schools. So, you know, Fieldson and Horace Mann, for example, are just down the street, um, would love to, you know, really connect with them. Um, you know, we've started conversations, but, um, but, you know, schools get busy and, and life gets busy and, um, but, uh, would love to see, to see more of that, um, you know, a few, a few years down the road. Um, you know, we're thinking about a way, you know, so I, we, I talked about how we took the requirement, the hourly requirement, a way to graduate. Um, and then, you know, now starting to, last year, we started having conversations about like, well, how do we, you know, um, highlight those students who have gone above and beyond, you know? So um, is there a way, whether it's on a transcript or, um, you know, in some way, shape or form to recognize those students who really, who have committed to, let's say, you know, we have an upper school program called Learn, which is an every Monday and Wednesday commitment. And we have, um, and that's with a um, Riverdale Neighborhood House, which is a, um, which is close by to us. Um, and we have students that have been part of Learn, you know, twice a week for four years, you know, like, how do you, how do you acknowledge that? So we're starting those conversations now. Um, again, not, not putting any hourly, you know, requirement back, but, um, you know, not to sort of, reverse the you know the work that we've done but you know how do you how do you acknowledge those students so starting to think about that and I hope that we have answered that question you know within the next five years you know it's interesting because I think I think it's such a, a dilemma because you don't most schools are most schools are hoping that that this service and community engagement is ingrained in their culture so much that they don't have to count hours because right all kids are going to do it. And of course we all acknowledge that some kids are just not going to do it. And that, you know, like that's fine because they were just chasing meaningless hours in the previous system. But then how do you sort of track that everybody is sort of getting the experience that you hope they are at least just to confirm that you're right in this notion. And then how do you recognize kids and without having to go back and start looking at hours again, right? So is it a capstone project? Is it, is it some sort of self-directed study in their senior year that sort of just proves their dedication? Um, I've seen schools looking at putting a recognition on, a, on the transcript. I've also seen simple things like um, getting a different rope color at graduation to highlight those kids. So it's a little um, less, you know, um, what's the word, like not formal, but it's not a transaction on their transcript, so to speak. Um, But it is a question, you know, and it it circles around the Mastery Transcript Consortium too, are these skills that we think every kid should have to master in some way, shape or form before they graduate. Right. Um, And if if it is, how do you, 
how do you designate that everybody has those skills? Right. And also, you know, for the students who do engage in, in some form of service, you know, the reflection of the action is important, but the reflection right. is equally, if not more important. So how do you capture those moments? You know, oftentimes, you know, you're rushing back to school and you've, you've just come from um, this awesome experience with a group of, you know, seventh graders or ninth graders. And the reflection sometimes is the first thing to get cut because yeah. you, don't, you don't have the time, you don't have the space, kids are off, you know, running to sports or, you know, getting home to do their homework. Um, and I think that's a piece of it too, you know, like in thinking about how to capture um, not only what they've done, but, um, but what it meant to them. Right. So I you think know, you know, we're struggling with that too. Um, well, you're answering the second, my second question, which is like, what are, what are the things that you're looking for in like answers to, you know, challenges that you're having? And not that, that this is a perfect answer, but I remember um, Eliza Alexander is at Murray School. Well, she's no longer there, but when she was at Murray School, she was talking about um, reflection and how it's always, you know, the first thing to go because you get off the bus and everybody is scattered and no one's thinking about it. So she was having kids do video journals on their phones on the way home from their, um, from, and they would have their seat partner asking them questions and then recording their answers. And just to give that 15 minutes of like, stop and think about it um, was just one way I saw that, that, that um, bus time is sort of dead time anyway. So it was just a way to use it. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. We should try something like that. I mean, I don't know that there's a perfect way, but it's so yeah. true. Reflection is such a important, I mean, there's, there's only so much forced journaling you can make these kids do, you know, they're, they're not going to do it if you're not requiring it. And if you, you know, you're trying to have them do it on their own. So. Yeah. We've, we've um, played around with blogs, having the students blog about their experiences, especially after like traveling um, for a service project. Right. So, um, you know, we have trips to NOLA, we have trips to Alabama. I lead a, a service trip out to um, New Zealand, actually, to Christchurch. So, you know, having them... That's horrible, Rachel. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> but, you know, having them um, do some, you know, when they're in the moment and they're really feeling it, um, right. you know, whether it's through video or, um, or blogging about their experience, um, in addition to the, you know, to the journaling, like you said, you know, like you can only have them journal so much. But... Um, or, you know, reflect on the spot, you know, kind of like in a pair and share moment um, with a friend or um, something like that. But it's certainly something they, that they could all create their own YouTube channels and have vlogs yeah. and talk. We and that, yeah, we had that. We had a student in on that trip, actually, who started his own YouTube channel. And um, even I was following him by the end of the trip. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's something that all schools probably struggle with. You know, we all struggle with that, that reflection piece. And um you know, so hearing what works for other schools, like that, you know, sort of bus video journaling, that's an interesting idea. Um, because it always is that like, you know, dead time that, you know, 15 minute ride back to campus, um, that could certainly be made, you know, more useful. So we may give that a try. Well, give it a shot. Let us know. I mean, and, if, and anybody who's listening has any other ideas of how reflection works, we could, we could share all the ideas. That's, that's really, that, that's my favorite part of of doing these things is just getting other what other schools are doing because it seems like a small thing but it's a it's a hurdle for everybody where the reflection is yeah. um, okay Rachel yeah. what kinds of things are you um, thinking about in the future what 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 would you like to share like what's one thing you'd like to share um, or or ponder or what have you um, let's think um, I shared with you a bit about the the you know, 
playing around with the idea putting sort of like extraordinary or um, kids who have gone above and beyond on a transcript. I know we've been having that conversation about mastery transcript and how that will play a part. And, um, you know, if you, you know, re if we've read through, you know, making Karen common and how the college application process is shifting and changing over the years, I think that might be an exciting, um, you know, opportunity to sort of shake things up a bit at the high school level right. um, as well. So, Looking forward to, you know, we're working closely with our college office to think about, um, you know, to think about that transcript and how powerful it could be to note, you know, um, students who, who really have um, commitment. But then, you know, the question is like, you know, is that subjective? How do you decide what student has gone above and beyond? So we've thought about, you know, um, having students present to a panel in their senior year, like you mentioned um about their service experience and why it was so meaningful and um you know what it meant to them what they learned what they're walking away with what kind of skills um and how they'll you know sort of uh, continue or what their plans are to continue um once they're you know alums of the school because even as alumni you're still representing the school of course yeah mm -hmm. um so that's something that's exciting that's sort of on the horizon um you know i think that we've We've certainly learned from our mistakes over the years. I mean, I know that in our in the first probably two years of starting the service learning program, once we shifted from community service, um, we really spent a lot of time and energy focused on our faculty and trying to get the buy-in from them and going to faculty meetings, going to department meetings, going, you know, offering ourselves as resources, you know, like if you have an idea for, you know, a curricular tie to service, you know, let us help you. Um, you know, we kept pushing and pushing and we had some small successes, you know, we had some faculty that, you know, that did take the time and came up with something um, exciting and original. Um, but, you know, but we basically decided that we were, you know, we shifted um, the moment that we shifted our energy from the faculty to the student is when we saw the most success. So, you know, so instead of, you know, trying to have faculty you know, um, engage in service work, which again, a lot of ours do. Um, but, you know, faculty are busy and they have curriculum to get through and they've got stuff to teach and they have deadlines. And it, we totally understand those um, restrictions um, but and those realities really. But, um, but the, the moment that we started focusing on the students rather than the faculty is the moment we saw our program start to take off. And so I think it comes back to what we talked about before, which is, you know, supporting student leadership, supporting student initiated projects like those social change grants um, as much as we can. Um, and that's where, you know, we have found the most fulfillment, the most success, um, and the most excitement really for service learning. So if I, you know, think about things I want to work on, it's just, it's exactly that, you know, continue to support student initiated work um, because students are the ones that are, are you know, at the end of the day are going to be. That's like, oh, well, and that's why you're there, right? Yeah. Um, so just a question. Do you think that this putting your energy towards the students and having th that program flourish has in turn made the faculty more engaged? Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think that faculty. It's a chicken and the egg, but you solved it. Exactly. Um, well, I don't know if we solved it, but at least we've cracked it. Yeah. Um, a little bit, <laughs> I like to think, um, because, you know, then not a, faculty are engaged in a different way. You know, they see the student excitement and they want to be involved or, you know, uh, a student applies for a social change grant and has to find a faculty member to be their advisor. So therefore, faculty are become involved 
without sort of in a backdoor way, right. you know, in a stealthy way. So all of a sudden they're, you know, really invested in this grant for a second chance or in this affinity space or what, what have you without it being necessarily like, you know, front loaded as, you know, we need your help with this service learning right. project, but they're do they're doing it before they even realize they're doing it. So, um, and then they enjoy it and they have fun with it because they've got students again that are there that want to be there, you know, that are, um, that are just pumped to be there. So um, I think it's certainly the student buy-in has um, encouraged the faculty to get more involved and certainly more excited about it. I think that's great. What a great place to sort of end our conversation because um, so, so many schools struggle with faculty buy-in, um, especially when they're trying to introduce a new program. And so to relieve them of that stress and say, you know, it's like um, field of dreams. Like if you build it, they'll come. So like get the kids super fired up and engaged and then the faculty will buy in because they're happy to be with engaged students doing what students like, you know, all in all faculty just want to support their kids. You know, they, they really are looking out for the best in of students. So when they're excited, the faculty's excited. Oh, totally. I think, I think that excitement is contagious, you know, yeah. from the students. Like I said, they should be able to see your face when yeah. you're talking about it because it is, it's contagious. Yeah, you know, I don't know any of your students, but I, I'm proud of them, right? Because you're so excited about what they're doing. I mean, my gosh, I go sit in that feminist, sixth grade feminist group. They are, those girls are probably right up my alley. They are. Blake, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. I'll be there soon. Um, but I'm going to wrap it up. Is, are, is there any place on your website where people can find more information about um, what you guys are doing? Um, sure, we're, we're, we are working on currently revamping our part of the website, but, um, but if you search for service learning um, on the Riverdale website, um, you will find us and you can follow um, at Riverdale CS on Twitter or Instagram or oh, great. all of those channels. Yeah. And are you, do you do that yourself? Um, I do not. We have a direct of communications but I'm constantly sending her photos and videos and uh, you know everyone from you know anyone involved in service um, you know has we try to capture the moments and you know in real time and then um, our school will um, sort of publish or promote them so there's lots of um, lots of service related um, activities that um, that they post about that's great All right, I'm gonna wrap it up and say thank you so much for joining us it has been fantastic I I'm gonna go apply for a grant right now um, I'm sure I can make some social change somehow um, I, I hope alums all over the world hear that and create programs like that at their schools it's just such a win-win for everybody and such a good use of resources so um, anyway but thank you so much, Rachel. It has been a pleasure, um, and I hope I get to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Podcast on Partnership. We hope that you enjoyed it, and we also hope to see you at some of our future programs this year. We have regional meetings, online workshops, and please don't forget our national conference held in Washington, D.C., January 27th and 28th, and our newly announced summer sympo symposium titled Degrees of Impact, held at the Hockaday School, June 10th and 11th. Information can be found on our website. We hope to see you soon, and in the meantime, please remember, partnership works.